Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Cool, funny, and relevant Catholic stuff you should know. Woo! Welcome to the podcast. Here we go. Father John, Joseph Danny Doman, and our studio audience of one. Steph Dunbar, who's Third back. Time. Now Emma Weatherhill from England, who Goble imitated. Would not be happy that we didn't give Steph a mic tonight, but you'll hear her laugh in the. You background. remember that email? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm because we, we had we uh, had. Well, I, I I say we, but I really mean John had advertised that we were going to have a woman on the podcast, and some people were really excited about that. And we did have a woman, but she didn't have a microphone, <laughs> and she was really <laughs> disappointed. So we just had a laughing track, which is what we have now. Apparently, you know, the so, world the world thinks the her- the church hates women, and we're we're not fighting that. You know, we're, we're not, not we're not countering that. By I, it not seems giving not. Her, women just, should not speak in church or on podcasts. Right, that's what Paul said we won't we won't ordain women. We don't give them microphones during podcasts. This is not good. I actually offered her a microphone, but um, we don't have an extra one, and she didn't really want one. So and way to stand up for your race. She's there, content, Steph. but as any good woman and mother to be, Steph Dunbar noticed right away that there's something about about our clothing that you should probably mention, Joe. I'm not going to talk about this either. Joe is wearing. I have exact, a hat. He's wearing the exact same thing as I am wearing right now. This is a little uncomfortable. Yes, I actually um um well we should talk about this later because we have an email from the guy who actually designed the shirts that we're wearing. Neil Musset. Yes, Father Peter's brother. We'll read that later. But I am wearing a hat that I received. Two nights ago, maybe? At a white elephant party. At a white elephant party that was purchased by none other than our studio guest, Steph Dunbar. And it is a John Deere hat, which I am ashamed to wear in the seminary because we have multiple <laughs> Iowan farmers. I walked in yesterday with my, my John Deere hat, and the first person I see is an – I think he's a Kansas farmer, logger. And uh, he's like, what are you doing wearing a John Deere hat? And I'm like, I know. I'll take it off. I'm sorry. Um, I'm from Philadelphia. But it's really cool. It's very green. I like the Eagles, and their colors are green. You were growing plants, and I was watching the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I, the only experience of planting I have is pulling weeds in my mother's flower garden, which was one of my most despised chores as a child. But she also gave – this was actually a great white elephant gift for all you white elephant gifters out there who are going to be – giving gifts this Christmas Advent season. Uh, Steph, great example, gave a John Deere hat, which was great. What was the theme? It was like fun Christmas or fun winter stuff? Fun day in the snow. Fun day in the snow. So it was a beanie, snow hat. It was a six-pack of beer, which was very good. I had one last night. And a sled, which I have not used, but I anticipate being incredibly delightful. I wish I would have got that because I got Legos. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was glad I did. I didn't steal your gift, if you noticed. Dude, white elephants can get bad. Last year at Christmas, now my family, my extended family, nobody listens to this podcast, so I'm safe to say this, but it almost ended the family when because the rules around stealing got really complicated and were kind of convoluted. I can't imagine Nepple bending rules. 45 people bending <laughs> rules, stealing each other's gifts, and everybody wanted the gift that I brought them, which is this little veil ski mug. But that has nothing to do with Charlemagne. That has nothing to do. Have you ever been to St. Peter's in Rome? I have. Well, the first time I was there, there is a stone. Right when you walk in, it's a big round stone. And the tour guide said, tour guide, for those who aren't from Philadelphia, we all say tour. Tour. Tour guide said that uh, this was the stone that Charlemagne was crowned emperor 
Holy Roman Emperor on. Where is this? This is right in St. Peter's. You walk in. Where? I've been like, there. Where in St. Peter's? It's like right when you walk in. It's like 10 feet in front like of the- Like by the Pieta? No. Yeah. Like if you're looking at the Pieta, just take like 20 steps backwards, give or take, and you're there's a round the holy door. red stone. No, it's the central door. It's the main door. You walk in. I don't know if it's the holy I'm one. Throwing, all, I'm throwing a flag. They're all holy. I don't think it's true. What are you, Southwest Airlines? <laughs> no, it is it is the one. It's it's a round red stone. Steph, you're laughing too loud. We told People you. Are be you don't get a microphone. <laughs> we got bad reviews last time you were on. Okay, so, um, but there is a stone that for some reason our tour guide said that Charlemagne was crowned Holy Roman Emperor on. And me and my irreverent friend uh, took a picture of one of us crowning there. I can't remember who. It was really, it was like before my conversion, so I don't claim responsibility. So but that was uh, 800. That was 800, and I never knew when I took that picture that I would be doing a podcast about Charlemagne seven As, years later. With a John Deere hat on. With a John Deere hat on and with a guy who's wearing the same shirt that I'm wearing. And jeans. So what do you know about Charlemagne, Johnny? Uh, very little other than that um, the whole world shifted uh, under Charlemagne when when it moved Rome kind of fell into disarray in the 4th century Constantine moves the emperor to uh in all christian humility Byzantium which he renames Constantinople very humble very humble moves it into the east so to speak and the power shifts east but then in the uh, 8th century we have a move into the north there's a unification of uh, european tribes well, under, you're getting you're getting way too far uh, Charles into it. Martel that's good you're doing a great job let's just hold you back right there okay so i thought you asked me what i knew about it well yeah but you were giving the whole backstory um so this is the backstory that john is racing through um <laughs> basically at the eighth century the last podcast was too long so we got to race i know through. we're racing through we're only at six minutes we get plenty of time <laughs> so um there was you know back in the day we used to do eight minute podcasts I know. Let's go to emails. <laughs> we did that last week. All right. So that's Charlemagne. There's a rock somewhere in St. Peter's. May or may not be true. It's by the Pieta. That's right. It's that's red. what my tour guide said. <laughs> um, so at the time of the 7th century, Rome was in a kind of a precarious, page, uh, precarious place. So <laughs> stop giving me these looks. The east – so the whole political empire – the center of the temporal power was all in Constantinople. Right. But the center of the church, or at least the pope and the papacy, was in Rome. Um, and Rome was kind of in a precarious situation because it was divided from the east based on some controversies they had in the centuries leading up to that. And they had these guys named called the Lombards. Right. I think they're the ancestors of Vince Lombardi, who was a great not awesome funny. guy. Not funny. No, but I think it's true. <laughs> I think that's where he gets his name. No, not funny. Lombardi. Lombards. I think there's like definitely a correlation. Italy, but they came from further north of northern Italy. They were in the Germany. The Lombards were Arians, so they were not friendly to the Pope. And they started taking over parts of Italy. They took over a town called Ravenna, and right. the Pope kind of freaked out because this was pretty close to Rome. And so the Pope went up north, and he said, okay, I have all these divisions with the church in the east and the empire there, so I'm not going to go there. So I'm going to go up it's north. It's Ravenna. Ravenna. Oh my gosh, you are perfect. <laughs> so, um, and so on all sides, the church, the papacy has some problems with the East controversies. In the South, you have Islam uh, starting to grow and become more and more powerful. Everybody's scared of them. And so it looks North. And in the North, you have this guy named Charles Marteau, who is a Frank. Franks originally hail from France, Germany. <laughs> um, they ended up in France, which is where France gets his name from the Franks. Really? Yeah. Do you know that? In Franks fact, came from Germany? Uh, yeah. In fact, when you say in English, there's a little sidebar here. When you say, like, you're being very frank with someone, 
it's like you're being very German. You're being very uh, straightforward and direct. And your hat, your hat is Frankish. disgusting. That green is horrible. Thank you. And you, I'm sure you have some German blood in you. So yes. you are being very frank, John. Being very frank. You are. So in the north, there were the Franks. Charles Martel was one of the kings there. And he uh, he had a son named Pepin. And so the king... He uh, had two sons. Do you know the other one's name? Charlo? Carlo Men. Carlo Men. I knew it was something like that. Anyway, Carlo Men died or went to a monastery. Let's call him Chucky. Chucky went to a monastery. <laughs> Pippin or Pepin, depending on how you pronounce it, was the only ruler. So the pope goes to Pepin and says, help me out. I need some help from these Lombards. They're invading Ravenna. And so Pepin says, sure, I'll help you out. And we talked about, you talked about this, I think, a while back when you talked about the papal states, right, in Vatican, Vatican State. Pepin gave, ended up giving the Pope a donation of land called right. the Papal States. Donation of but before that, he said, okay, I will help you out. Um, and so he basically, the, the Pope goes to, is in a state of distress, has all these temporal powers who are uh, opposed to him, Lombards are invading things. And so, and this is an interesting turning point in Christendom. Um, he goes to a another emperor or another king, not an emperor yet, and he pretty much says places himself under his authority, places himself under his allegiance, and says, "I will, I will. You are my king, but I need your help." And so, that's what the pope does. That's what the pope does. This Which is, sounds weird, but from the very early beginnings of Christianity, you've had some kind of emperor. I mean, ever yeah, since Constantine, ever since Constantine, you right. have some sort of, and and Constantine itself is a real turning point in the history of Christianity. It's the first time where you really have an emperor or ruler who is sympathetic, and not only sympathetic, but really excited about Christianity. Right. And things start changing quickly. For good or for bad, there's a lot of Christians that grow, but there's also a lot of Christians who are becoming Christian for political reasons. And so that's kind of always the interplay between church and state, between the church uh, being uh, having ecclesial authority and kind of putting itself under temporal authority. Right. The kind of trade-off you get is that you have the, – the, the pro is that you have safety. You have you, – you can spread the faith freely. You're not being persecuted, which, I mean, for better or for worse, persecution just isn't that great of a thing. You have Christians who are always dying. Right. And we say blood of the martyrs is the siege of the church. That is true. But we're always trying to move towards not having people killed all the time. Um, and so that's not a bad thing. So you have safety, but the trade-off is that when the – when it becomes when the when the emperor becomes a Christian, like was the case with Constantine and was the case with Charlemagne, then you have all of a sudden everybody wants to be a Christian because it becomes politically advantageous to be a Christian. So, so when the church, like let's just be honest here, the yeah. guy who taught us church history was an Eastern priest, right? Which is very interesting because they hate Charlemagne. Yeah, they do. They hate him. He's horrible mm-hmm. because the world, the the power, the the church's alliance with temporal power shifts from the um, the east to northern Europe, and that sets up the whole next thousand years, the Holy Roman Empire. Exactly. As soon as we get, as soon as we associate ourselves, we as Latin Western Church associate ourselves with the Frankish soon-to-be empire, we make ourselves opposed to the Eastern Empire, right. which is in Constantinople. Right. And this which is was true. Still, which was still very powerful at the time. By it's the, true. In the, it, by 800, it mm-hmm. was still you know, a major force to be reckoned with. But in his defense, our Eastern teacher is just as just as critical of Constantine, who is an Eastern emperor, and right. for the same reason, because right. you have this interplay. It's it's a trade-off. It's not completely critical. And Constantine and Charlemagne weren't saints, but they also weren't, like, horrible people. Yeah. Um, now, did you know that in Aachen they venerate him as a saint? 
Really? Yes. Yeah, yeah, just in right? Aachen. Only in, in his hometown. Interesting. But they've done that for over a thousand years. Are you talking about Charlemagne or are you talking about Constantine? Charlemagne. Really? I didn't know that. Is that interesting? That is interesting. But it's only in Aachen. Only in Aachen. But it is an interesting question. Behind all of this, behind the kind of the fascinating uh, you know, embrace of the church with temporal power is this question of like what is the role of the church in the world? And Vatican II is going to have a lot to say about that. And it's very interesting. But it, it really does. I mean, this goes into 1929 when we talk about the Lateran Council right. and the bill and the building of the, uh, or, sorry, the Lateran Treaty and the building of the Vatican City. Mm-hmm. I mean, this this is where it begins. This is where the problems kind of begin. Yeah. Corruption. You know, we, I live in Boulder, Colorado. Steph's a missionary here. We're on the campus a lot. So much of the problem is, yeah, you say all that's true, but the church is so corrupt. And part of it is what begins in this embrace of temporal power or the protection of temporal power, which is even yeah. And not we can't a bad be thing. we can't be too critical of it because I mean Pope Saint Leo the Great, Saint Leo, not the Great. I'm sorry, Saint Leo. Was he the Great? Mm-hmm. He is the Great. He's um, great. He's a great guy, and he's a saint, <laughs> and he was the one who crowned Charlemagne emperor. So I mean, fast forward, we have yes, Leo, Leo the Third. Oh, Leo III. He's not the great. He's not great. Yeah, he's not great. Leo I is great. Leo I is a great guy. Sorry. Leo III is just a saint. Sorry to that. But he's still a saint. He crowned uh, Charlemagne Emperor. So fast forward from Pepin. He helps out the Pope, defeats the Lombards. He gives the Pope all these papal states. Right. Temporal. This is kind of the beginning of the papacy having some temporal power. Right. Um, eventually, Charlemagne, his son, comes into power and uh, eventually gets crowned emperor by Pope St. Leo III um, on Christmas Day in the year 800. 800. Here we go. Um, and so this is really, I mean, this is a huge turning point because if you can see the world, or not the world stage, but really the European stage at this time, Eastern and Western Europe, you have this growing division between Eastern and Western churches because of a language divide, because of all these controversies. And a lot of it's honestly just misunderstandings. And that's important. Um, that's important to hear that the, the divisions that exist nowadays between the East and the West it's not just because of the the coronation of Constantine or of Charlemagne in the in the ninth century. It's really it's, not, but a lot a, of it's linguistic. A, a lot, lot of it's linguistic. A lot of it's cultural. But it's important to realize that when we wed, we as the Westerners wed ourselves to the Frankish Empire, Charlemagne, and the East Eastern Church is wed to an Eastern Empire in the New Rome in Constantinople. All of a sudden, you have two different empires right. who are naturally going to be opposed to one another. Right. And I really think this is the having two empires um, and the two two different Christian churches who are meant to be one kind of wedded to each of them. Um, this is really – this um, sinks in the, divide, the divisions that will flower in the centuries to come after this. Absolutely. This makes them much more ingrained right. in the consciousness and the culture and everything because it's not just like a religious or a theological difference – but it's now like a nationalistic, you know, I am with the Franks and the Franks. And, and we talked about the filioque, uh, filioque controversy, you know, a few months back. It, it, I mean, but a lot of the filioque con- but controversy. But that's rooted in this. It's rooted in the yeah. whole Frank. The Franks were pushing yeah. the filioque. The, that's because, three, this is 300 years before, yeah. but, the, but the foundations are there and, mm-hmm. and it's been laid. And, and it's beautiful that we live in a time where there isn't a, con- there isn't a religious, uh, a Christian empire in the East nor in the West that's dominating the world. Yeah, and that's a very interesting thing. What an interesting time. In fact, we're at a great time for some sort of recommunion or ecumenism that's happening. And the, and the church has really turned its eyes to that in the Second Vatican Council. 
was very much about ecumenism, and especially, I mean, in America, when we talk about ecumenism, we want to think about our Protestant brethren, because those right. are the people we know. We know right. the Protestants. But the ones who we're really closest to, as far as how we celebrate, what we believe, are the Anglicans, because they haven't been divided from us for so long, and there's already some reunification happening there, and the Eastern churches, the Orthodox churches who aren't in communion with Rome. So when the church talks about ecumenism, they're talking about everybody, but they're their focus is on the Eastern churches because there, there's been this divide from the first millennium. It started to grow, really kind of became more solidified in 1054 mm-hmm. um, and, and grew from there. Um, but there's, this has been a divide. This has been dividing the church from almost, you know, from longer than it's been united. It's been divided. Right, right. And, but the, we're really not that different as far as what we believe. But we have to understand the history to be able to engage the present moment and exactly. the reality of what is happening now. But now these political empires aren't dividing us anymore. Exactly. It's really just these misunderstandings that can be worked out, and it's going to take centuries. It's going to take years and dialogue about them. But uh, we're getting there. This was really originally supposed to be about Charlemagne. <laughs> but yeah, what's really the just name became, of this podcast, by the way? We don't even know. We're just talking about stuff. Steph, what do you think we should be, should be called? I don't know. I don't know. How I don't about know, an I don't email? know what you're talking about. But anyway, Charlemagne, in the end, he was a good guy. He was a religious guy. He had good intentions. He had he a did, great deacon. He had Alcuin? Alcuin, great guy. Yeah, it's funny because before Charlemagne got connected with the emperor, he started like forcing Christianity on people by force and stuff. I kind of love this part of the story because, and Al, you know, he he was like convert or die sort of guy. Yeah. And this is before he was con- he was connected with Rome or or the church in any way. And Alcuin, who was his deacon spiritual director, was like, uh, actually, this really is not a good witness of the gospel. You really shouldn't be converting people by force. And and Charlemagne, you know what he did? He just said, okay, okay, you know. And so he stopped. He was like, oh, I guess this isn't how you do it. And so he was. He he read a lot of Saint Augustine. He was actually really seeking, I think, truth and goodness. But there was this whole interplay between temporal power. And we have to be honest with, with what is what is the power of Christ look like? Is it a power that is exercised through the power of this world through temporal power, or is it a power that is exercised through the cross? Yeah. Um. And that's and that's really the challenge for us. When I when I learn about this stuff, I look at my own life and I say, how do I seek power? You know, do I play these power games in my in my community, in the house I live, in the seminary I live in, in the diocese I'm in? Am I kind of seeking to get ahead in these little power struggles, or am I seeking to die to myself, to be lowly, to be humble, and to be on the cross with Christ? Because that's where His power is, and that's kind of always been this big temptation of the church, East and West, both of all Christianity, and not just Christianity. It's about humanity, and and, and it will always be the temptation. It will always be there, and the challenge of the cross and the scandal of the cross is that he says, my power is made perfect in weakness. And this this is what power looks like, and it's about laying down your life. And then you're with Christ, and mm-hmm. that's where true power resides. So Charlemagne, is, he's, a, he's a complicated figure, he's an interesting figure, and he's kind of more just a, we're just using him here as a caricature of this whole Eastern, Western, temporal, uh, ecclesial power thing. Um, but it, it's good to think about, where, is, where, where do we look for power as a church? Do we look do we look to the, the political realities of our time, or do we look to Christ? Do we go to mm-hmm. our knees, so... That's all I got. I'm it's sorry. Good. It's kind of a mess. No, no, no. These are all messy. They wouldn't still be listening if they didn't get used to it. That's right. Them. They know. So I promised an email okay. from the venerable Neil Musset. Neil Musset. Who is the designer of our t-shirts. Right now, John and I are both wearing t-shirts, which I'm mildly ashamed of that we're wearing the same clothes. Um, AMDG. AMDG. Which is my beloved household. And mine. 
my beloved household from I Franciscan a, University. Hold on, I am an honorary member of John this was made honorary, and we're very proud of him. I was inducted. He is just as much a member as any of us. My name is Father John, by the way. <laughs> Father John, Neil Musset. Neil Musset is a uh, Franciscan Steubenville graduate, and he is a fellow household member of mine. And he actually designed these T-shirts with his brother. And Father, he listens. Peter and shockingly, he as a, a man who I know to be very intellectual somehow still listens to these podcasts. That is shocking. <laughs> that is shocking. And anybody who works at Citibank in Buffalo, New York, who uh, he has convinced somehow, some way, to listen to this, thank you for listening. Also shocking. So a while back, John, you had put out a call. When we first started recording here in Boulder, you know, we had what we had, like the dungeon or whatever we called it in the right. seminary, and then we had, we recorded at the Companions House on Penn right. Street. Right. We called that tr- the Tree House or right. the Tree Fort or something like that. And here we don't have a name for this girls, podcast. Girls aren't allowed in the tree fort. Yeah, but girls apparently have crept into the whatever this is. Do you Boulder. have a name? Does Neil we don't have a name. Well, you put out a call. We said, hey, we should. We need to find a name for this. So Neil... Neil's the only one to respond. Made some proposal. <laughs> he was the only one to respond. So he says this. He says, hey, guys, knowing that you have a taste for the obscure, arcane, and historical, I thought I might make a suggestion for the room that you record in based on a long, dead English word. I don't know why he made these suggestions, but he, then he went on to list about like 60 different English words, which I picked, from which I picked the few that I thought were good. The okay. one he, he really was excited about was Icasm. Icasm? Are you feeling it? No. I, does this feel like Icasm? Means it, it's a figurative expression, an Icasm. Who knew? Here's the ones that I was more excited about. Uh, let's see here. Uh, Pewdify. A long dead English <laughs> word. The cause to be ashamed. For instance, your remarks do not pewdify me, John, for you are as guilty of such offenses as I am. Next word. Um, Roblet. Oh, that's got potential. To lead astray, which is (laughs) actually very very true to form. He roblets his intended victims in the old part of the city before John mugs them. Father John. I'm sorry, Father John mugs them. This might, that might be good. Actually, this is my favorite. Bladderation. No, sounds like bladder. Chatter and blabbering. (laughs) Blabbling. I've just had... About enough of your garrulous bladderation, you clod. That is next. His, uh, that's all I got. I mean, there's more, but I don't want. I don't think you want me to read all I these. I think we need to continue to pray and discern. I think we need to request more suggestions about the name of this room. We should put up. I mean, I don't know if we've described this room before. We do have this picture of this. What's uh, the name of the principal? Black in Afro Vermont? child who's kneeling down, which we put on the website. What's the name of the principal in Vermont? The principal and doctor. Uh, what's his oh name? yeah, what's his name? Oh man, I want to hear from him. I bet she's not even listening anymore. I bet she gave up on us long ago. Yeah. Well, hopefully he listens to this. Yeah, he was the one who called us about about our called us out about our uh, our hokey music, or whatever. Yeah, he hated our music, but he's the perfect guy to name this studio. He should. We should send him a this picture. This is a challenge issued to that doctor guy. <laughs> In Vermont, we really love our listeners. We do. We don't even know their names. Oh, that's right. Except Neil Giles. We'll call him Giles. 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 You know who you are. But Neil Musset, you're a good man. Thanks for uh, listening and supporting us. Amen to that. Amen. Steph Dunbar, thanks for being our studio audience. Thank you. That's delightful. <laughs> thanks for the uh, John Deere hat. Catholic Stuff Podcast. Like us on Facebook. Gmail.com. Facebook. Catholic Stuff You Should Know. We'll talk to you soon.